spring 1984 and a group of individuals meet at the Adelphi on Hunslet Road in Leeds. They are generally dissatisfied with travelling to nearby towns and cities to see live jazz and improvised music and feel it is up to them to do something about it. Leeds Jazz Promotions was subsequently formed in the context of a flourishing alternative political and cultural environment including Leeds Trades Club, Leeds Other Paper and the Red Ladder Theatre Company. Over the years many prominent acts have graced the stages of Leeds including, in no particular order, Archie Shep, Steve Lacey, Anthony Braxton, Pharaoh Sanders, John McLaughlin, John Zorne, Bill Frizzell, Pat Matheny, Peter Brotsman, Evan Parker and Derek Bailey. This list however is by no means exhaustive. My name is John Toolan and I present Left of Leeds at Chapel FM, a radio programme which champions left field music in the region and over the next few hours speaking to some of the people instrumental in developing Leeds Jazz Promotions, Leeds Jazz, the Termite Club and Jazz Leeds, we explore how jazz, improvised and experimental music has established in Leeds and become an important focus for this form of music. In conclusion, we speak to students of the Leeds College of Music today about what brought them to the city to study and now how they feel about the musical landscape today. Firstly, let's hear from one of those original contributors to the discussion, Matthew Coe, or as many will know him, Zero Slingsby, and the title track from the 1985 album, Shove It. Thank you. And now in a major new onslaught on the Conservative Party of Great Britain and all other governments, Zero Things Beyond the Works bring you Shove It!
Former Leeds College of Music student, now professional musician, promoter and champion of music in the area, Chris Sharkey tells us why he chose Leeds to study. I basically left school as soon as I could to do music, um, ended up at Newcastle College, got to the end of college, uh, did a load of auditions for uh, different music schools, got into all of them, brag, brag, brag. Um, but like the one that I really, the one that I really, that really stuck with me was, was when I came to Leeds, because I came and I can't remember whether I, oh yeah, I came for an open day, that was it, and there, were, there was just, it was when it was when the the building was up by the old Civic Hall, um, the old like around the corner from the underground and all that, like a different Leeds to, than what you'd know now. But um, and there was just music everywhere, and we saw I saw like live jazz on the street, like bebop, and I saw Indian music in the library, and uh, and just all and there was just the vibe was amazing. It was a sunny day. I was there with a couple of friends, and we just like, you know, it, I just thought, yeah, this is this is great. I want to I want to come to a city. Um, it's just down the road from where I'm from. There's all these, uh, all the musicians that I saw were amazing. You know, like it just, it just blew me away. I didn't really understand anything that I saw, so it was like that really exciting thing of like, what is this? You know, I want to learn about whatever the hell this is. Like, um, and then yeah, so I did an audition and and got in, and then yeah, came came down in '96. And just, you know, fell in love with the place and just had an amazing three years at school. Like, I moved in with three third-year musicians. Um, so on the first day I got there, they took me out and got me really, really, really drunk. And, I'm, and I was, like, sick and all sorts, you know, like, classic kind of, like, student stuff. But then the next morning at 8 o'clock, I woke up to the sound of the, my, uh, of the guy next door, uh, in the room next door to me, like, practicing his double bass. And I was like, oh, okay, right, that's, that's, what, this is, that's what we have to do. So I kind of took their lead as they were like really hard working third years and just kind of like started practicing that morning and didn't really stop for three years. Um, I was just like really desperate to learn. And, and there were, you know, obviously once I got into the college, I started to learn about, you know, a little bit more about who, who the local practitioners were and who the players were to go and watch. And I went and saw loads of music and, uh, had the benefit of lots of great teachers and and just and started my kind of like uh, you know pathway into learning about jazz. I thought it was really super cool when I got here because I don't know why like because there wasn't a lot happening in Newcastle music-wise really and I'd like I was really I was really interested in learning you know, really kind of learning as much as I could about music in general. And because I play the electric guitar, I, 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 it's not like I knew everything about like rock music or anything, but I, I felt like I'd kind of, I wanted to learn some new stuff. And there's not really any classical repertoire for electric guitar. Uh, so the only other route was, was jazz really. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go and learn about that. And, you know, it'll, it'll improve my, you know, uh, skills in, in music theory and all of that kind of sight reading and all of that kind of stuff. So, and then when I got there, there were all these really great players who were playing jazz, and I just kind of idolized them really. So I, for me, it was like, it was really cool and, uh, and really trendy or whatever. Just, and, and there was, um, you know, there was music every lunchtime at the underground. Um, so that I could go and see live jazz every lunchtime for free. And it was really amazing musicians who were from, from there, you know, not from there, but living, living in Leeds, studying there. 
So the idea that like you could be that close to people who were that amazing, because I'd been, I'd grown up with rock music, you know, like when you go and see a rock band, you're like they're on a massive stage and there's thousands of people, and it's like the idea that you'd be that close to a, a musician of that quality just kind of blew my mind really, um, and it was really inspirational because you could see it, it was right there, you know, you could and you know. Um, you could talk to them afterwards and ask them stuff, and you could even play with them sometimes. And so the uh, being that close to it was just just gave me filled me with like this this kind of like insatiable drive to kind of like want to be able to do that, um, you know. And uh, it was just yeah, it was such an inspirational time. And then of course on top of that, there was what Leeds Jazz were doing at the time. So as well as this being there being a great pool of local players doing everything from like bebop to like more you know bill evans type things or free things or fun or the kind of funk kind of thing that you'd that you'd hear at the underground like on a friday night or a sunday night or at the hi-fi club or something like that you'd get what leaves jazz are doing which is bringing in like cutting edge music musicians from new york and chicago and in, in europe and you got you got a chance to see that as well, you know, where it was like these, you know, the, the real international players and things like that. And you know, the, credit to them really because oft, often those those musicians who were coming over, they were only doing one show in the UK in London, but Leeds Jazz would always book book them up up here. So we, so we we get to see Tim Byrne and um, uh, you know Jim Black and. Uh, 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 Kenny Wheeler and we, you know they, they would do these enormous gigs at like the Leeds Irish Centre, you know, like really out there jazz gigs. You know, Carla Blay I saw there, like all the, and they were it was full. You know, like I seem to, or maybe I'm romanticising it a bit, but it seemed full in my in my head. But um, yeah, and so yeah, you get to see all of that as well. Um, so you know, I, and I think that really that really fed into what. My, musicians of my generation thought of as what we needed to be doing with music because it was like we, we, we got to see this very adventurous cutting edge stuff that was very exciting and it, it was obvious to me and to the people I was playing with oh yeah we should be trying to find something of our own you know like like these guys have I mean they're great players and everything else but they're doing something that's 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 kind of moving you know the music onward in, in some kind of way and it was often quite challenging but at the same time, it was there was something very exciting about that, and I think that really rubbed off on people like myself and uh, Matthew Bourne and, and Dave Black and all the and Dave Kane, the musicians that I grew up playing with. Um, and you know, so I think that it's not an understatement to say that this that you know that this this city itself and the things that have been in it over the years have, have, have played a huge part in, in how I've ended up. You know, what the kind of musician I've ended up being. might be a Leeds attitude about making music that means that you that, that you you often hear people tackling things in a, in a slightly different way than there might be than, than people might be tackling you know not I don't want to homogenize any scene because there's not there's not really a London sound either there's like there's lots of mu different music happening in London um, you know so I wouldn't want to you know exclude it but I, I think that yeah the, the Leeds musicians seem to be uh, there are a lot of musicians working in Leeds who kind of seem to be trying to, yeah, 
push about push boundaries in a certain kind of way or trying to find something original in a certain kind of way that often exists outside of maybe uh, your established boxes and genres and things like that. You know what I mean? So like I, I, a lot of bands that come out of Leeds end up being end up being described as being kind of like crossover or you know kind of like not fitting into this or that you know whether that's good <laughs> for better or worse um, and I think that's something that you that's something that you hear being said a lot about musicians from Leeds whether it's true or not who knows but you know that's just a, that's a fact I guess What I've just said there has, has any elements of truth and that the music that comes out of this place is, is maybe a little bit more left of centre or a little bit harder to pigeonhole. Those things generally tend to, tend to get less, um, less focused because people don't really know how to write about them or talk about it or it might not appeal to quite as many people. But you know, I, I feel like, um, I don't feel that's any kind of failure of the music. I, I just think that, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, all of my favourite music, I suppose, is, is niche and unusual and experimental and difficult, and, and, and I mean that's all the stuff that makes me really excited. So, I'm, if if the scene that I'm a part of is being treated that way now, then if that's the, that's a badge of honour, really, for me, because <laughs> most of my favourite music, did, did, you know, has, has has struggled to find an audience. But like I'm its audience, and I, I live by that music, and all I'm trying to do is is trying to you know, follow follow suit in my own way, you know, but, what, but without copying that, you know, like try to, so I, that's what I try and, what I tell young musicians all the time is, you know, that the, um, the I think that doing, following your own voice and, and putting on your own shows and playing to small audiences is like, you're part of a noble tradition, you know, it's like the, the when you're, when you're, it, when the work that you're making is, is dividing people or confusing people, you do, you know. That's that's where you. That's exactly where you need to be. You know, if you want fame and fortune, then you can. Then just go and do something else. You know, like you. you need to be doing. You know, that that becomes a different kind of. Um, a, a, you know, a different question, really, or a different driving force. You know, but if you want to make art, and if you want to, if you want to progress the conversation about what music is, uh, then that's. It's normal for you to struggle to find an audience, and you should be. You should be okay about that. As long as there's musicians who are making their own work and, and putting it out there and being passionate about it, then yeah, no, no one has to worry about anything. You know, I, it's just it's a little bit of a strange time at the minute because um, it's it's kind of it's quite a difficult time to be a musician. You know, like as you as you all know, you know the um, the, uh, the the I mean, music essentially has no value at the minute, and to, <laughs> which makes it quite difficult to to, um, to survive. Um, and, and you know, and more people are looking to kind of like, uh, as they always have really, is to, is to find other sources of income so they they can afford to have a career as a musician. I think that's okay, but like, I, I do think I do, it does make me worry about like who might, what the voices that we might not hear because of that situation. You know, it's going to be, it might it might only be people who can afford to do it that we, that we might hear. 
and uh, I think that's as much as I as much as you know you can't turn back time and I, and I, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that there's any there was a, there was there was ever a time when it was fair I think um, it's just uh, with music with access to, to music provision being being quite limited at the minute due to cuts and things like that and then also just the kind of general state of the economy plus the fact that it's very hard to actually make any money from music I think that might it's probably going to mean that we hear from fewer people um, you know and I think that's a bit of a shame um, but you know the people that want to do it and that, and that can do it will and and, the, and you know and, and times will move on you know like the, the, the situation that we're in now you know uh, everything always moves in cycles you know so if things are fe if things are feeling pretty tough now then uh, it's, it's, we're just waiting for the next thing to come along that's going to kind of reinvigorate and give it some new life and what musicians need to do is just keep on going you know we just got to keep you got to keep working. You got to keep doing the best work you can, getting it out in whatever way you feel comfortable, and just making sure that the music's there for people that want to find it. You know, because that's kind of that's my that's what I am. I'm I'm the audience for other musicians who are doing that. I just you know I seek out things and grab hold of them, and it keeps me going. And I want to create content and work to and put that out there so other people can find it and be invigorated and, and carry on making work. So it's about creating this kind of like this conversation with, 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 the, with the work, you know? And of course now, the, because the, the digital economy has kind of destroyed music, but at the same time, it's kind of like create, it's made it easier and easier to meet other musicians and kind of share things and kind of, and, and collaborate and things like that. So, you know, with every downside, there's enough. And so, it's, so the thing that I've described there, it's a lot easier now, you know? It's a lot easier, easier to feed into that conversation. And people who are actively looking for music out there will, it's a lot easier for them to potentially find it. Chris Sharkey reminiscing about his early days in Leeds. Bill White, whose suggestion it was to shorten Leeds Jazz Promotions to Leeds Jazz was one of those original contributors to the discussion in 1984 alongside Cathy and John Dyson, Mike Short, Steve Crocker, Barry Cooper, Pete Robinson, Dave Hatfield, John Smith and Dennis Dolby. Here he takes up the story. I was living in Leeds, uh, very interested in jazz and improvised music and uh, would go anywhere to see it really and did do. Uh, there were things that appeared in London seemingly on a regular basis which never came up north. Um, occasionally when things did tour, like the Contemporary Music Network tours and other things put on the, by the Jazz Centre Society, we nearly always had to travel for, you know. Sheffield, uh, Herfield Jazz was very active at that time, so we used to go to Sheffield quite a lot. We'd go to Manchester, right. Bradford for a short time. They had a jazz festival in um, York, any, anywhere to see these things. And uh, it was a group of us, and we would talk about, oh, why can't we see it in Leeds and all this kind of thing. There was lots of wild talk about doing such stuff, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for me, it was only talk. But 
one of the guys who um, used to come to the gigs was a guy called Barry Cooper. And um, he was somebody who made things happen. And he was the one who eventually secured some funding and called a meeting. And I was frightened to death. <laughs> you know, because I thought, oh, I've said all this, but do I really want to do it? You know. Anyway, I went to the meeting. And funnily enough, Steve Crocker was there yeah. at the meeting, for the very first meeting of Lee's Jazz. I think there was me, a guy called Steve Walters, Barry, uh, two musicians, uh, uh, John and Kathy Dyson, and um, I think that was it. And um, because Steve Crocker was there, and he had experience, and I've been to quite a few of the gigs in, in Sheffield, it kind of gave me confidence. You know, yeah. I thought, you know, Barry didn't any, know any more than me about promoting jazz. So that's how it all began, really. We decided to put some gigs on. And what were your greatest challenges, do you think, over the years with, with Leeds Jazz? <laughs> well, as well, the, the, the motivation was, as I said, frustration in the Leeds and the North in general seems to be a sort of, seemed to be a backwater, you know, what gigs in London today, maybe see it in Leeds or the North tomorrow, maybe not, you know. And I wanted to uh, make Leeds a place that did things first, you know. So it was about what was guiding me really was cultural awareness. You know, if you, I'm not making, a, I would never made a value judgment and saying, yeah. oh, well, this is better music. Let's put this, these guys from New York are better than the guys in London. No, I wasn't saying that. You can only make an, a judgment if you've actually seen these people play. That's right. So that's really what it was all about. And so you started off, did you start off doing the gigs at like the Trades Club? We started off doing the gigs at the Trades Club. We were restricted in the kind of bands we could do because we couldn't instigate any gigs. You know, we had to take what was touring, and there were two. There were two organisations. First of all, it was the Jazz Centre Society. They used to um, uh, organise tours, and we used to divert those tours to Leeds. That was fine. Then we hooked up with Serious uh, Music in London. They used to do more international artists, and so we started putting on the so-called bigger names. And then uh, eventually. Uh, in 2002, I think it was, when I, after leaving Leeds Jazz briefly, um, I was able then to contact and the main agents in Europe because the UK is not a big jazz base, really. The, and, you know, uh, the, the touring musicians will still today not touch the UK but tour on mainland Europe yeah, quite yeah. a lot. So the big agents were there. Um so that is was the big one in Austria. They handled all the very big names, and a guy in more recently was a guy called Rolf Gluck, and he used to do the kind of people we were interested in. You brought along some music uh -huh. that uh, typifies for you yep. Leeds jazz. Mm -hmm. So what shall, what shall we what shall we start off with? Well, I think one of the uh, musicians I booked quite a lot. Cause I am a drummer. And I was very fond of a guy called Jim Black, and he works in various aggregations. But this is his own band called Elasno Axis, who we had on a few occasions. And uh, there's a nice track called Maybe.
So, Bill, uh, that was Jim Black. You've got another piece of music there. Yeah, to, by uh, somebody... to typify. I think it typifies. It's somebody we took a long time to get, and we eventually had him quite on quite a few occasions. His name's Tim Byrne, works in many, many aggregations. Um, this particular one is a group called Big Satan, with uh, him, Mark Ducre on guitar, and Tom Rainey on drums, and the track's called Ramp.
Did um, did Leeds just achieve what it set out to achieve? Do you think? Well, yes. Eventually, uh, there was a lot of naivety when we first started. We didn't know what we were doing. I certainly didn't. Uh, and this thing about bringing people to Leeds uh, that wouldn't normally appear in Leeds uh, wasn't as easy as it seemed. Uh, we were um, at the uh, mercy, if you will, of the the agencies who were bringing people into the country. Uh, we did achieve uh, what we had set out to achieve, or what I set out to achieve in terms of raising cultural awareness when I could start booking things directly yeah. from the agents in Europe who were handling the artists that I was, I wanted to see and I wanted other people to see. So that entailed contacting the agents in Europe, which obviously was a lot easier with the uh, internet uh, in 2002, but then we had to also had to register and do the rather irksome work permits, uh, which again we did, and we were then able to get some exclusivity. Uh, in, in other words, uh, bands appeared in Leeds, uh, and sometimes nowhere else. Uh, often it was just Leeds and London, which was good. So we did, uh, and and uh, now of course people have different uh, reasons for promoter music and uh, it's um, it's not quite what it was I don't think but it's still very very good do you have a, you, you, do you have a favourite concert do you look back and think I'm oh, really glad I put them on many many well I think some of the, 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 the my greatest um, pleasure is, is is thinking about you know putting people on before they were famous yeah yeah you know we had the bad plus twice and uh, another guy who's very big now, I really like him, he's very commercial actually now, because he straddles quite a lot of things, is a guy called Robert Glasper. And we had him with his trio with the wonderful drummer, Chris Dave. And uh, there's a track we might be interested to play called No Worries. On the drums, Chris Dave. <laughs> On the bass is Vicente Archie. And a man himself. Please put your hands together. The Robert Glasper, toi.
The term nightclub in Leeds became synonymous with jazz, improvised and experimental music in the region, and one of its founding fathers, drummer and promoter Paul Hessian, gives us his account of its development after we hear from him in action with saxophonist Alan Wilkinson and bass player Simon Fell as Hessian, Wilkinson and Fell.
That's uh, Hessian Wilkinson and Fell from uh, a compilation album called The Saxophone Phenomena. And uh, that's Odeon's Dropout piece. And um, uh, I'm here with Paul Hessian now, and I was just asking him earlier, does he actually remember playing on that piece? And you know, what were your motivations for um, for starting the Termite Club? I didn't start it. It was... Um, this all goes back to... Alan Wilkinson and I had a friendship which began in 1979 when I was playing with Matthew Coe, who changed his name to Zero Slingsby later on. I was in a trio with Matthew Coe and Richard Ward, um, who both lived in Bradford. And when Richard Ward announced he was leaving the band, Matthew said to me, here I've found this great alto player called Alan who's going to replace Richard. And I said, oh, yeah, tell me about him. He said, well, he's only had a saxophone six weeks, but he's great. You know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. But anyway, it turned out, when I, as soon as I met Alan, I liked him. And then Richard decided to stay in the band, so we had a quartet. And we went off to play in Belgium in two identical Morris Minor Travellers with no gigs arranged. This is 1979. And uh, we just turned up at places, all piled in and... And Matthew would say, "Here, we're a band, and you know we want to play." And we managed to get two or three gigs over there. When we came back, Alan and I kept on playing with that group for a while. But then I decided to leave the band. I, I wanted to play free improvisation instead of jazz. It was kind of it had gone into kind of modal jazz and Charlie Mingus stuff with Matthew. But um, I wanted to play completely free music inspired by Brotsman and people like that. So Alan came with me, and we couldn't find a double bass player back then. I think it was 1980 when, when I actually left that band. And so we had another saxophone player, Pete Malham, and that group was called Art Barton Fargo, me and Alan and Pete, and we were playing completely free improvisation. And in 1983, I left Leeds and moved to London for a year and a half, and while I was there, Alan started the Termite Club right. with Paul Buckton, That's right. who was a guitarist who used to run Leeds Musicians Collective. Um, and Alan kind of based the Termite Club on the Clinker Club in London, which had a policy of a lot of free improv, but also experimental poetry and experimental film and, and alternative cabaret and sound poetry and all kinds of weird stuff. And that's how the Termite Club started. It wasn't just free improv, but then it gradually became virtually only free improv. And um, although having said that, there were diff there were more conventional bands played there over the years, like the Wedding Present and people. Right, is that right? right? Different things, yeah. But um, having said that, I was back in Leeds visiting on the night of the first Termite Club, and I said to him, "Can I play a solo spot?" And he he said, "Yeah, but you won't be on the official. You won't be on the poster, but you can." So there was um, Alan and John McMillan and Paul Buxton played. There was a group called British Summertime Ends visiting from London, and I did a solo in the middle. And um, anyway, I was up and down from London, and I moved back to Leeds in uh, mid-'84, and I got more and more involved in the Termite Club, and uh, eventually Alan moved back to London because he'd originally come to Leeds to be an art student at the Poly. I think he moved back to London in the early 90s and by then I was applying for funding for the Termite Club and doing a lot of the arranging. And something I thought of to tell, tell you about was me and Alan were both arrested in Leeds for busking. <laughs> when Before busking became legal and a tourist draw, 
It was actually illegal. <laughs> and um, Matthew Coe got arrested and charged over 40 times for busking. Really? In Leeds and Bradford. But me and Alan only did it a handful of times. But we got arrested and locked up in Milgarth. And we got taken to court. And our solicitor who had been recommended to us described us as a failed double act. <laughs> <laughs> and we got fined about 30 quid each, I think. And uh, I also got arrested for fly posting for the Termite Club as well in Edinburgh. <laughs> but that's still illegal, I understand. What, were you, what fly, for Termite Club With wallpaper paste. paste. <laughs> with a bucket of wallpaper paste, yeah. So what, what were your, your, your aims and ambitions then? Did you have any aims and ambitions over it just to... It was, it was a kind of a self-help thing inspired by the loft scene in America. Right, yeah. Uh, the black musicians um, like um, Rashid Ali and Sam Rivers and people, the, the AACM in Chicago, yeah. people who got together and, and said, right, we've got to create something for ourselves, like, you know, bond together and create events like instead of waiting for somebody else to put them on. And in the face of um, a lack of interest by mainstream promoters and stuff, they arrange their own gigs and do their own posters, do everything themselves. And uh, what yeah. what sort of venues were you were you using then? You, well, I remember going upstairs at the Fenton and there uh, were loads. The very first night of the Termite Club was at the Adelphi, which became its home. Really. Yeah, but we also played at the um, what's that folk the Grove uh, the Grove the Grove yeah the folk yeah, club. Yeah. We once once Derek Bailey came up for a gig at the Adelphi and it was double booked with a, an angling club. <laughs> so Derek was the first one there and when we all arrived he said oh it's double booked so Alan phoned the Grove and they said the room was available <laughs> so we all walked or drove over to the Grove I think that was the night before I got married and uh, my stag do was playing a duet with Derek in the Grove <laughs> I couldn't concentrate on the playing because I was thinking, panicking about getting married but, but anyway um, we play, yeah, with the Princess of Wales the Three Legs the whip, uh, the pack horse, the cardigan arms, um, a, a community centre on um, North Lane, uh, the Haddon Hall. The list goes on like. Did you purposely you pick know. little venues like that, little out of the way? No, that were the only places you could get. The criteria was <laughs> an unused room at the back of a pub or above a right. pub where we wouldn't disturb the regulars, you know, because of the nature of the music, it's quite demanding. So we, you know, it had to be at the back or to one side or upstairs or something. We were we were just reminiscing earlier about. I had a fal I once I've had a false memory of seeing Derek Bailey upstairs at um, the Three Legs, and I did, didn't yeah. I, on the hedgerow? Oh yeah, with upstairs. those. Yeah. yeah, he played really loud, Derek. People were yelling to turn down <laughs> because Ashley Wilkinson film was known for being intense, but we weren't that loud. We were just kind of intense. So when Derek cranked his electric guitar up, it we it was a bit. Above, that was volume-wise, you know. Shall we play a piece of music then? This is um, this is from one of your albums, actually. Uh, the Horrors of Darmstadt. Do you remember? You must remember this album, surely. It's a uh, termite club. The main thing I remember about The Horrors of Darmstadt is it's the only album I've ever, I've ever been on that's completely sold out, I think. Really? Yeah. And I think that's largely because it's on Shock, the label Shock. And I think they've got a clientele who, who buy everything. I don't know, but... Apparently it's sold Blimey. out. So yeah. from the best-selling album, The Horrors <laughs> yeah. of Darmstadt, uh, this is it's called Claggy, but in love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's uh, Claggy But In Love from the uh, album The uh, the Harvest of Darmstadt from Hessian, Wilkinson and Fell. And um, we're, we're talking to uh, Paul Hessian at the moment and um, we're just talking about um, your workshops that you do. Yes, um, I'm not doing them right now, but when I moved back to Leeds from London in 84, I decided I was worried about there not being such a, as much of a scene up, up here as there was in London. And... Uh, so as well as playing at the Termite Club and wherever else I could, I decided to run some improv workshops, initially for the Workers' Educational Association at the Swarthmore Centre, Principally, basically to pull, get people out of the woodwork, see if I could discover more improvisers out there, you know. And um, I did that for several years. Uh, I got funding from uh, Leeds Leisure Services and... Um, then I, I got funding to start Improvised Music Leeds uh, and I had a core of about 14 musicians came regularly for that and I had guest musicians come and play with us and I would I would prepare the group uh, for a performance at the end of it. I, I would have either four or six music workshops, weekly workshops and then for the final workshop I'd have a guest come and I would I had asked them in advance to prepare a piece for the group and we'd rehearse it one night and play it at the Delphi the next. And they were all recorded by Damien Boskill, the guitarist, oh. who was also in the band. 
and um, my, I said to the guest leaders, it's a free improv group, but you can devise a piece for the band in any, any way you like. It can be verbal instructions, it can be a graphic score, it could be a traditional music score, anything you like. It could be wide open, you know, no restrictions. And, um, yeah, I, I did that from about 84 till about 2002, I think it was. And uh, yeah, I was just thinking actually, uh, coming up in uh, Lady Jazz um, in the next uh, few weeks is the um, is it Mrs. Mrs. Biles Bengar. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. I was trying to think of other situations yeah. that you could. Um... That's Simon Thackeray from the yeah. shed. He, he dreamed up these mad schemes. <laughs> he did a thing with the giant um, Yorkshire pudding boat race a few years ago. <laughs> they met giant Yorkshire puddings with chicken wire in them, so people could actually sail the things in the village pond. And, um, yeah, he had Lol Coxall playing in a skip oh, and uh, yeah. Alan Tomlinson doing a tour of fish and chip vans and uh, Mark Sanders playing with Mrs Boyle and yeah. all these off-the-wall things. Yeah. I remember seeing Lol Coxall in a skip outside the art gallery in Leeds, actually. Yeah. yeah. That's Simon Thackeray's doing. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are your fondest memories of the Termite Club, do you think? What? Um, wow. It's hard to remember all the different things. I, I really enjoyed playing with Joe McPhee. I'd met Joe in America and I, I organised a four-day tour in England. And um, we played at, at upstairs at the Adelphi. That was, that was a good gig. Um, playing with Alan and Sonny Murray, that was memorable. Playing with Derek Bailey there. Um, playing with Peter Corvald in the Grove. I mean, so many great yeah. memories, you know. When I look back, I think I mean, some of the people that I used to go and see, some great names, like you say, Derek Burley and um, yeah. Joe McPhee, in tiny little rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe now, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think... I, was, I was thinking about the forerunners to all, to all this. Like, if you go right back in Leeds, there was the Muse, uh, Leeds Musicians Collective. They used to put gigs on in Headingley in uh, the White Elephant Gallery, a little weird little off-the-beaten-path art gallery. But going back further than that, there was the Peel, an old pub in Leeds called the Peel. John Lee Hooker played in there, and all sorts of jazz musicians. You know, God. going back years. You know. Lime. Do Do you think the Termite Club achieved all it was going to do? Like everything, it, it nothing stays the same. It evolved. Yeah. And it all everything. It's all down to a few individuals. Like whoever's in charge of it at the time, their taste determines what what gets played there. And when I bowed out and uh, John McMillan, it was only me and John in the end because Paul Buckton had moved to New Zealand and Alan had gone to London. John moved off to Sheffield and I concentrated on doing improvised music leads and then Mike Dando took over, who'd appeared at the Termite Club over the, lead, over the years uh, in the guise of Condom. He called himself Condom. And it, it was a really loud noise thing. that It was an assault, was Condom. And he took over, so then his taste influenced it. So it started to become power electronics and drone and that kind of thing. Yeah, it kind of, the Termite Club went towards that kind of end, didn't it? It, it went did. more kind of electronic and... Yeah, and you know where they slipped up? They stopped applying for funding. Right, Or maybe right? they didn't get it and decided not right. to keep applying and it gradually just... I was going to say, what you know, do you think happened? What, what was the demise of the Termite Club, do you think it was... I think it was that they didn't keep the funding applications yeah. going. You know, we used to get funding from Leeds Leisure Services and Yorkshire Arts every year. 
the same amount from each. It was a modest amount, but it meant that if we if we spent it well, we you know I, I mean we used to play ourselves play for virtually nothing most of the time, and uh, touring bands may have had arts council funding, so we, you know we could use what little funding we had just to top things up. But we but it meant we could keep it going. Yeah. I mean, there is a cohort of people who are keeping that scene alive, really, aren't there? I mean, you've got um, the fuse box at the Brunswick now. Yeah. And um, no, I still managed to, <clears throat> to get out. I've said we, we, we try here. I try here at Chapel FM to. Um... Yeah, yeah. I mean, things do evolve all the time and change. And I, and one of the things Simon Fell and I were talking about the Termite Club, and it was. It was kind of inextricably linked with Leeds Other Paper. Do you remember Leeds Other Paper? I do, Paper? yes, yeah, yeah. A kind of a lefty community yeah, yeah. newspaper. Yeah. We, all our stuff was advertised in there and previewed, and we had reviews as well as previews, and we'd take out paid advertising, and 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 it reached the audience, you know. And um, I mean, obviously now all of that's that's considered prehistoric now, like printed. It's interesting actually because we've talked media. here about kind of how to promote events, <clears throat> and, and and people kind of rely on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and things mm. like that now. But you're kind of preaching to the converted there. Yeah, you're not reaching Expanding, a new audience, yeah. and it's hard. It is hard. I mean, what we find that here is get is getting people here to Chapel FM for these yeah. kind of events. It's really hard to get people, particularly out of the city centre, up to Seacroft. Well, to, to get up to events in mainland Europe, people still hand out flyers and fly posts, yeah. and put, up, put posters in bars and stuff, you know. And I think it's worth doing that legwork. Maybe we should go old school, yeah, and start handing out flyers again. I've, I've got fondness <laughs> for the old ways. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll um, we'll hear the 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 last track really that uh, we're going to play in this section, and it's from uh, your album with Joe McPhee, uh, a Parallax View, yeah, and uh, this. Is a particular piece from Ermite to Termite? Eremite. Have I got that right? Eremite to Termite. That's quite um, poignant, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks very much, Paul. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
Steve Crocker, who used his experience of jazz promotion in Sheffield to go for the reins of Leeds Jazz, transforming it into what we know today as Jazz Leeds, and promotes events in venues around the city such as Seven and Inkwell in Chapel Allerton, and the highly successful annual Jazz Leeds Festival. Steve gives us his account of developments in upholding the scene. Steve, how did you first become involved with uh, Jazz Leeds? Well, the, um, Steve Buckley was the first band we ever had on, actually. Um, the reason I got involved in, um, in, in Jazz Leeds was because I've been living in Chapel Allerton and Seven Arts, which is a then a new uh, jazz venue, started up in, in Chapel Allerton. I just thought this was too good an opportunity to miss. So um, in 2007, we started putting um, jazz on in their bar, and uh, Steve Buckley was the first band we ever put on on Sunday afternoon. So it means a lot to me. That holds, holds fond memories for you. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was it was the start. Um, you know, and it's from starting off in the bar to doing what is it? I mean, we must have done 1,500 gigs since then over the last 12 years. It's been it's been you know it's been a good a good time. But that was that was where it all came from. So, what was your motivation then to come to to Leeds and oh, and it, jazz Leeds? It was purely work, you know. I came I came here for work, like so many people, and um, I'd settled down uh, here, had a family, and all those types of things, you know. And, and just just got involved in the local jazz scene. I've been involved before because I'd helped the old um, uh, Leeds Jazz start off in 1983. So, so coming back here again for work, um, I was in Sheffield at that time. Um, it, I just thought, oh. There's an opportunity here. I've always thought Leeds was a fantastic place for putting on music. What can't you do in Leeds? Exactly. It's a city of three quarters of a million people. You can't get an audience of 50 for a jazz band club. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fantastic place to put on jazz. You're not, you know, it's, and so we, I, I've always wanted to do something in Leeds, and, and Seven Arts coming along was the real opportunity that provided it. So, what was your involvement initially then, sort of promoting the bands and putting them on? Or? Yeah, it's a one-man band to start off with, and then gradually, as these things happen, people join you, and they said, "Yeah, I'll help." And so we then moved on to doing uh, regular Sunday afternoons in the big venue at uh, Seven Arts. Then we moved on to do evenings, and then we, uh, after that, we started doing um, the Chapel Allerton Arts Festival Jazz Sunday, and then we just kept going. Really, we opened a second venue in Inkwell. Uh, then we um, got involved um, in. Uh, the Leeds Jazz Festival, which is now three years old, and now we've got a third venue. So, so it's it's sort of like grown like topsy, really. And it's all volunteers. It's all good fun, though. And what what do you think it what do you think it is about Leeds that's so so good for jazz? Well, you've got to start at the college, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Been going fifty odd years now, and you know anything that started off by Peter Rind must be good. So he did all those years ago, and um, it's got a fantastic reputation first ever jazz college in the whole of Europe you know and it's, it's produced loads of people and when you think some of them have stayed and they've made their, um, their life they've made their uh, playing uh, uh, opportunities here in Leeds or the, the region and so they provided to this huge group of musicians that now live in this area and um, so that's it really <coughs> you start with the college and then you add I suppose um, the fact that there's uh, um, all sorts of other um, 
organisations and groups have come along. We I've counted something like twenty three organisations in Leeds put on jazz now. Wow. Various, orga- you know, sort of colours and stripes. Some of them traditional jazz. Some of them are sort of um, more towards the poppy end of jazz. But you know, it's all it's all as part of the great heritage of the music. So you've got all the venues, you've got all the musicians, um, and with a, a population of three quarters of a million, you've got the audience as well. I think, I've, you know, over the years I've spoken to a number of musicians who have come to Leeds, and they came to Leeds because of the college. They were attracted to Leeds because of the courses available at the college. So, um, Steve, you've uh, picked a couple of uh, pieces of music that uh, exemplify jazz Leeds, and uh, the, the, the piece you've picked here is by uh, Ellery Eskelin. Yeah. We see. Yeah, we had Ellery on uh, um, four years ago now, four years ago, in, um, in at Seven Arts. And he's, 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 really, he's a really interesting musician, Ellery Eskelin. He's played with all the greats, um, and um, he plays in a lot of different styles. He plays in sort of free improv style, but he also plays the chords and the, the right. sequences as well. So he's a really interesting musician. Um, really enjoyed seeing him. That was a series we did... Um, Involving uh, Ingrid Jensen, who's a Canadian trumpet player as well, and um, um, very, very, very nice trumpet player who we got coming back in the autumn with a big band, by the way. Um, and um, um, so that, that 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 anyway, Ellery Eskelin, great, a, a great, well, somebody that everybody should see, I think. And uh, we see that's appropriate, isn't it? <laughs>
So uh, Ellery Escalon and uh, We See. So, um, Steve, what's, what are your fondest memories, do you think, of uh, jazz leads over the years? Am I allowed to boast? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> this is your platform to boast. Oh, my platform, right. No, uh, the stage uh, is yours. I, I, I mean, there, is, there are some jazz awards that don't mean a thing. You know, there's sort of things that are commercial and this stuff that's um, really not, not worth it. Um, but but there's one jazz award which is worth it, which is where all the, the, the enthusiasts and people who go to concerts actually vote for their favourite concert, their favourite bands, their favourite albums. It's called the Parliamentary Jazz Awards. And um, we were completely over the moon because we won the, the best venue, UK venue, in 2016. And we got to go down to the House of Commons in the <laughs> terrace. And we, you know... I mean, I, not many people get all that excited about Parliament, <laughs> but for this, in this, on this occasion, we thought they made the right decision, the right people's vote. <laughs> so that was that's my best memory, I think, uh, what, so far, so far. What about musically then? What if what what what, what bands have you put on? You thought I'm really pleased that we put those on. I'm, that was a real coup. Well, I, I mean, I, let's do the last year, can I? Yeah. Is, um, we we had the Patchwork Jazz Orchestra and we had Jamoka Fajoli from the um, J to Z. BBC program to introduce it. Um, it's just a wonderful group of uh, group of musicians. Um, we also had a band there by Johnny Mansfield, who's a young um, drummer from originally actually from Huddersfield, called Elf Tet. Both of those, and I listened to both of those, and I thought, yeah. And what I really like is where you put things on, you're not quite sure whether they're going to be any good, and they turn out to be stonkingly yeah. good. Yeah, really interesting, good music. The sort of things I like, you know, sort of really creative stuff done well and perform perform professionally what what do you think have been the greatest challenges with jazz leads what money yeah. <laughs> succession <laughs> apart from money succession John. <laughs> <laughs> i ain't gonna be able to keep doing this forever you know <laughs> i'm not getting any younger <laughs> someone's gonna have to take over aren't gonna there? there's, there's gonna be another documentary in years to come with another person there's been all sorts of people coming forward you know people like laura cole's helping out yeah, yeah. sally coe it's done a bit, um, you know, Nell Begley's come on board. It's all sort of women um, yeah, yeah. producers. And one of the things I'm really excited about in jazz is the number of women that are coming into the music now. You know, in the autumn we've got um, ten uh, bands led by women as part of our programme. And it, it makes it gives a different balance. So, so we're really pleased about it. So hopefully amongst some of those people who are coming through, our new venue um, in Round A has been run by a guy called John Duffield. So amongst all these new people, 
there will be somebody who wants to take it forward. God, I hope so. Maybe maybe somebody who's listening to this might want to do that. Yes, <laughs> just phone me. <laughs> you can have it tomorrow. I think we were talking earlier as well, like actually how, like in, in Leeds particularly, you can go to like all these different venues, and there's so much like quirky music. Because I think that I think the term the term jazz just seems to cover a whole range of music that probably people don't really understand. <laughs> they call it jazz. I know. Yeah. Oh, no, don't get into the what is jazz argument. No, no, I won't but, get into but, that. But it is true. You go, you go to somewhere like Hyde Park Book Club, which yeah, is a yeah. wonderful place. Yeah. You know, and that and all the sort of people there from Tight Lines, stuff they're doing. It's very, very cross into cross genre and um, cross musical genres as well. You know, it's got improvisation, it's got rhythm, it's got all the things that jazz is, is noted for, but it's also got some of the more contemporary beats like hip hop and things mm. like that. Another, another interesting thing that I've been uh, I've been thinking about recently is, is promoting these kind of events. Um, and I, I like to see jazz leads is still with the old paper flyers. Do you think there's a future for paper flyers? It's, do you know what? Interesting. You remember vinyl the first time, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And vinyl's come back again, and I, I got a, a, a sneaking suspicion that actually paper is not dead, no, and that people still like having things that they can take away. It, you know, if not this junk, because this is horrible, a four sheet. But if if I were to give you a nice brochure, yes. it's like me giving you a gift. Yes. Whereas I can't give you a sort of a, a, a text, can I? It's not quite the yeah. same. Yeah. Whereas actually, if I give you a little, little gift, it's it's it's. I, th- I think those those things are about how you pass information around that gets remembered yeah so so i do think that flyers and papers i think to stay i think we've, we've had these discussions recently here about you know i think people nowadays almost like rely too much on social media but you kind of preach to the converted with those kind of people aren't you you're not going to get new people unless you start handing the flyers out that's right otherwise venues. how are they ever going to know yeah yeah. It's interesting, actually, and I like the way Jazz Leeds still hands the old flyers out. We do. We st- <laughs> you need to be sticking them on, on lampposts. Like the old <laughs> do, you know, do you know, John, I hate to say this, I, when I first started doing this promotion business, I used to go around, my mum used to run a dance club, and I used to go around with her sticking leaflets on lampposts. I've been That's doing what we need since. to do. That's what Jazz Leeds needs to do. That's the future. All my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, final piece of music, uh, Steve, you've, um, you've chosen Dizzy Race. Yeah, this is because uh, we've got something on the Windrush Jazz Generation at the uh, Jazz Festival coming up. That's on the uh, Friday, the 19th of July. And it's about the music of Dizzy Reese, who came over on Windrush. We, you know, it's going to be a really good gig. Um, we've got Jean Toussaint, who's actually in the band, and tr- uh, Trevor Watkiss is, is leading it. So it'll be a fantastic celebration of, of the music, which has given so much to this country. Dizzy Reese, fantastic trumpet player. And uh, this is a track called The Rebound. <laughs>
Jazz, improvised and experimental music, it could be argued, have an important role in the musical panorama in Leeds. And we have seen, from some of the key figures over the past few decades, how that scene has been nurtured and established. To conclude our journey, we speak to Raccoon Dog Soup, recent students from the Leeds College of Music. Got to strong as my First thing I wanted to ask you, the obvious question is, what is raccoon dog soup? So, it's actually um, a Japanese recipe that we found in Billy's book. <laughs> we, were trying to, we were trying to think of names, but um, we weren't thinking of very good ones. And then we just flicked through the recipe book and we saw raccoon dog soup and we thought, that would be a weird band name. <laughs> so we chose that one. I like it, actually. <laughs> the, the other funny thing about doing this radio program is it's quite a hard name to get in your head. Mm. I couldn't remember it. <laughs> but I think I've got raccoon dog soup now. But I did have anxiety about not remembering it when I. Um... Now, you wanted to talk to us about Jazz Rewind. What's Jazz Rewind? So, Jazz Rewind is a thing that Leeds College of Music are doing. Um, it's, a, it's a new thing that they've started this year. It's, uh, it's kind of to promote flagship brand, bands in the college. So, what they'll do is they'll take video recordings of the band. And um, we've actually just had about three, I think, haven't three we? Tunes. Yeah, yeah, three tunes yeah. we've recorded. Uh, it was it was amazing. It was really cool. Um, so yeah, so they're going to be out pretty soon. 
so it's just keeping an eye out for those when they come out probably in the next couple months or so yeah mm. I've noticed you on social media now Instagram we are you've just yeah. started an Instagram we account are. <laughs> we are finally come first out to the world post, <laughs> first, first <laughs> post today <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah we're newbies to that kind of stuff we are noobs <laughs> now I was when you were playing upstairs I was sat here in semi-darkness thinking I'd like for, I'd like them to have an album out <laughs> because I would buy it is there any um, plans to do that? Definitely, definitely. It's in the pipe work. Yeah, currently student loan is a bit a bit difficult with getting an album as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean next year we'll be out of college, so it'll be it'll be a lot of a lot more focused on that kind of stuff. Yeah. You could come back here and record it, couldn't you? Oh my people god, people have that'd be done. Amazing. Yeah, people have done. <laughs> people have done. Now I was going to ask you about gigs, but you've got no gigs coming up. Absolutely nothing to promote yeah. at all. And then a summer. Well, no. If you if you look us up on Facebook, the Raccoon Dog Soup, and also Instagram, RD Soup, and um, just we'll keep posted on any gigs and things that are coming up. We'll probably get some in the next couple months. Well, so, thank you for playing for us this evening. No problem. Thank you, Raccoon, you Raccoon Dog it. Soup. I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Cheers. So this is our last tune. Uh, it's a tune called Lost Bird that we actually we've recently recorded. Um, and we're kind of looking forward to hearing how that goes. Thanks for listening.